This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. In February 1986, a revolutionary mass revolt in the Philippines led to the downfall of its corrupt and cruel dictator, Ferdinand Marcos. He and his family fled the country. Yet 36 years later, the Philippines voted in the son of that very same dictator, namely Ferdinand Marcos Jr., also known as Bong Bong. So how did this happen? I'm Dashran Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Dr. Maria Ella Atienza, Professor of Political Science at the University of Philippines, Diliman. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ella. Before we discuss Ferdinand Marcos Jr. Bong Bong, let's talk a little bit about his father, Marcos Sr. Talk to me about his time as President of the Philippines and the mass revolt that caused him to flee the country in 1986. Hello, Dashran. Thank you for the invitation and hello to your uh, listeners. Ferdinand Marcos was elected uh, uh, for the first time in 1965. He was a very uh, up-and-coming, uh, very uh, promising and actually very intelligent uh, strategic leader. He spoke very well. He was a good uh, orator and mm. uh uh, people uh, uh, like him compared to maybe at that time in the 1960s, a lot of the older traditional politicians. Right. Uh, but uh, increasingly, uh, at that time, the Constitution of the Philippines uh, allowed for re-election every, uh, for, uh, the term is for four years. In uh, 1969, he was re-elected, but it was at that time considered the most violent elections because at that time uh, students and other groups were already uh, complaining and raising issues against Marcos rule and around 1972 when he cannot run again in the 1973 elections he declared martial law closed the two houses of uh, Congress imprisoned a lot of opposition and he had a new constitution approved. He he was a lawyer, so he we call his authoritarianism constitutional authoritarianism right. because he was very conscious that everything he did would be supported by the law. So right. in a way, that also shows that uh, his legal background was very helpful in legitimizing his term. Mm. Um, there were actually some good things or provisions in the 1973 constitution, including regional development, uh, the role of uh, regional authorities, and promoting decentralization. But many of these were swept away by the focus on consolidating power. It was very difficult for members of the judiciary to act and rule against any of his actions. He promised that he was declaring martial law because it was to stem the growing communist insurgency as well as secessionist. There was already the growing secessionist movement. He promised that in return or in exchange to the curtailment of uh, certain rights, there will be economic development. But these things did not happen because we experienced for the first time uh, Starting in the 1970s, the exodus of um, 
a lot of uh, laborers going out, which is still a major character of Philippine economy where we have uh, millions of Filipinos working abroad, propping up the Philippine economy through their remittances. So it was a sign that uh, unemployment and lack of livelihood opportunities uh, were highlights of the Marcos administration. Many people were imprisoned, uh, not just activists or people who joined the revolutionary movement, but also elites who were against the Marcos dictatorship. The dissatisfaction of people have reached even um, urban areas. So even ordinary Filipinos were starting to question the martial law administration. By the early 80s, some of the opposition politicians who went in exile were uh, already calling out Marcos and the at around that time, uh, in 1983, when the opposition leader, former Senator Benigno Aquino, uh, returned to the Philippines, he was uh, shot in the airport. Right. And in a way, that also sparked urban uh, dissatisfaction mm-hmm. and uh, anti-Marcos sentiments began to grow in cities and areas in the Philippines that were not traditionally, let's say, re- revolutionary right. or progressive. He called for snap elections and to happen in 1986. There were plenty of cheating, uh, even if uh, Marcos was declared the winner. But at the same time, also with growing dissatisfaction since the 1983 with anti-Marcos protests, even in the business districts in uh, in the Philippines, right. and uh, at that time also, Cory Aquino was uh, outside uh, Metro Manila, and uh, people were also requesting her, please come and show your support for the Filipino soldiers against right. Marcos uh, Marcelo, and that led to a lot of people going to, uh, we call it EDSA, that's the avenue, that's the shortcut name for the avenue that represented people power in the Philippines, the center of people power in 1986. But there were also spontaneous people power activities in other parts of the Philippines where you have anti-Marcos leaders. So soldiers uh, from different services who were asked by the Marcos uh, government to bomb, to attack uh, the two military camps along that uh, uh, avenue, EDSA, started defecting when they saw the number of people uh, in that particular area. So uh, that lasted for about four days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcos had his own inauguration in Malacanang, but uh, people decided that uh, Cory Aquino and his, her vice president will also have her own taking, being the president of the people. And then it turned out that the U.S. said that they can can get Marcos out uh, and uh, bring him to Hawaii. And so the family left, for, uh, according to them, forcibly. And uh, they lived in exile uh, in Hawaii until Marcos died. Right. So Marcos never returned to the Philippines, order, although they were pleading that he should be allowed to die in the Philippines. It was uh, perhaps one of the earliest instances in the 1980s that showed how 
uh, people coming out in the streets actually showed their strength and the military had to yield. Despite that, 36 years later, the Philippines voted in that dictator's son, uh, Marcos Jr. Bongbong, to be the new president. Of course, it's unthinkable for some people, uh, particularly democracy watchers, how uh, the Philippines can bring back one of the most hated uh, dictators. Uh, He's in the Guinness records in terms of the billions that the family uh, stole from the Philippines. And it's it's quite a turnaround from the 1986 people power. 1986 ushered in a lot of expectations. A new constitution in 1987 was enacted and approved by uh, overwhelmingly by a majority of the Filipino people. It promised a lot of things. Uh, prevent authoritarianism, empower the people, establish checks and balances. But we retained the political, social, and economic structure. In right. The or we, we sort of brought it back and we brought back or created new, new political families and elites that dominated Philippine politics. We failed to establish programmatic political parties that will offer alternatives to the people. Uh, At the same time, we do have a large progressive sector in the Philippines, but they failed to offer some practical uh, programs that people will really support. So you have a progressive sector echoing labor rights, the rights of agriculture, land reform, but they failed to connect it with the daily lives of people. We created in the process decades where the economy was improving, but it was not trickling down to right. the people. People cannot access the justice system equally. Elections remain to be personality-oriented, and you need to have resources to actually win. In the process also, and I think uh, this is uh, a failure on the part of um, a lot of people, education and social media have also failed to instill a culture that when you have democracy, when you have these freedoms, there are rights, but there are also responsibilities. People have to put in their share in actually promoting, deepening, and protecting democratic processes. This time, yes, the traditional elites can be blamed, the economic elites can be blamed, but in a way, there were a lot of failures also in terms of educating and socializing people that this democracy, no matter how imperfect, have to be deepened and at the same time lived and protected by Filipino people. It's, it's very interesting and it can be scary as well um, how a family that was chased out of the country essentially or, and lived in exile because of their cruelty, because of, of the people's revolution, um, now that, that very same family essentially has come back to power. And many reports I've read indicated that um, Bongbong Marcos executed a very calculated and effective propaganda campaign on social media to win, yeah. to win votes, especially among the younger people. Um, what can you tell us about this? They seem to have started this uh, decades ago. So they have invested a lot. 
perhaps we can credit this also in a way it's uh, the, the strategy is very similar to other populist leaders uh, in other countries that they invested in social media which was uh, rising uh, when they returned it was still developing but then as it uh, intensified they invested a lot in promoting uh, first on Facebook then Twitter then YouTube and now TikTok right. uh, stories about the quote-unquote positive things uh, good laws and uh, good programs of the Marcos dictatorship at the same time they were also tapping into uh, the dissatisfaction of uh, a lot of people who said that they cannot eat democracy uh, because uh, their poverty was still a pro is still a problem in the Philippines even before the pandemic right. despite the high growth um, it, during the Gloria Macapagal Arroyo and the Benigno Aquino years uh, the economic growth uh, has not really connected with uh, people living day-to-day uh, -day subsistence. Right. And so it, it's really uh, easy for certain groups to capitalize on that dissatisfaction, those complaints that uh, life has not changed for ordinary Filipinos for the past years. And at the same time, you have we have a very young population People who have not lived through the martial law days, and uh, it's easy for them to to actually take for granted the the freedoms that are available: freedom of the press, yeah. uh, freedom uh, freedom of expression, and they started consuming these uh, things. And in the process, imagine the glorious period of authoritarianism, which were of course carefully constructed. So uh, I'm a quantitative researcher and I usually conduct uh, studies in areas um, that uh, experience either conflict or uh, disasters, particularly those caused by natural hazards. And you see people who say that all presidents are the same. Uh, they, they play on, they promise a lot and they ignore us uh, later on. So And then that kind of slow process of uh, martial law propaganda and at the same time revival or revamping the Marcos family name, reinventing the Marcos family name uh, was also coupled with the very strategy of creating allies in uh, national and local politics, uh, supporting candidates uh, that will be allies of uh, the Marcoses, including those who run for the presidency. In a way, 2016 with Duterte winning is already the start of a rejection of the 1986, uh, the legacy of the 1986 people power. That there's a plurality, 36% of the electors saying that they would rather have uh, a more strongman personality right. rather than someone who the rule of law and parrots the idea of good government. On the show with me today is Dr. Maria Ella Atienza. She's a professor of political science at the University of Philippines, Diliman. After the break, I ask her if Bong Bong will be a dictator like his father. We'll be back with more on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9.
welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Dr. Maria Ella Atienza. She's a professor of political science at the University of Philippines, Diliman. And we're discussing how Bongbong Marcos, the son of a former dictator of Philippines, which was exiled from the country, won the elections just a few days ago. Earlier, Dr. Ella, you brought up is this very interesting phrase that is used by the likes of Bongbong Marcos and all of that. And is that you cannot eat democracy. I can sympathize with with the working class, with the with the people in poverty, um, with the middle class as well, younger people as as you know the cost of living uh, in whether in the Philippines or in in many countries around the world have just consistently uh, gone up and and salaries and as wages have stagnated and and all of that and it is to a lot of them. Um, you 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 cannot eat democracy, you know, and and people are looking for you know more bread and butter e- solutions yeah, to bread and butter yes. issue problems rather than um, solution to liberal democratic problems yeah. necessarily or freedom of speech. And that brings me to my next question because while seventy one percent of the youth in Philippines voted in favor of Bong Bong, according to some reports, up to ninety percent of that of the youth are still extremely worried about their future. This gives me the impression that people are voting based on what they believe is the lesser of two evils and not because they genuinely believe in the political elite nor the current economic system as a whole. Is this a fair assessment? In a way, yes, because uh, when you look at survey data, we have two respected uh, survey companies in the Philippines, Pulse Asia and social weather stations, they continued with measuring the quality of life of uh, uh, Filipinos. So in their latest uh, survey, uh, they found out that during the first quarter of this year, uh, slightly less than 50% consider themselves poor. Right. And in, in, the, in the regular surveys of Pulse Asia about the top five problems of the country, according to respondents, you will see uh, lack of employment, uh, higher wages, mm-hmm. mostly economic uh, issues. And of course, during the pandemic, uh, of course, uh, having access to uh, health, uh, free public services. So in, in that sense, you see that people are worried about things that affect them on a daily right. basis. And at the same time also, I think one thing, and I'm glad that uh, some international election observers pointed this out, uh, while the Commission on Elections can always say, look, we have lessened the anomalies in uh, in the voting, during voting day, there were faster transmission, we have computerized, uh, so the elections were successful, but there are still large documented vote buying Mm. That went on. Philippine society where you you already have a large segment that are poor. And then the last two years of the pandemic led to more economic displacement. This is not stupidity on the part of uh, Filipino people who, of course, will attend campaign rallies because there were promises of free vehicles, free rides, and free food. Right. Even if they have to line up in the heat of the sun or under the rain and uh, uh, have to deal with dole out given to them by local politicians. Uh, uh, our problem would be the local and national politicians and economic 
elites who who actually uh, exploit these uh, conditions of the Filipino people. Right. I- I'm wondering, Dr. Ella, if the reason why the likes of Bong Bong can use their strongman politics and, and come back to power, yes, there's the social media propaganda and, and all of those uh, different things, but I'm wondering if one of the reasons people are suddenly saying, oh, maybe we need these strongmen and, and things like that, um, is because of the failures of the, the so-called left yeah. in, in the Philippines to capitalize on or, or to, you know, there was this revolutionary struggle by the masses in 1986. Yeah. Yeah. But since then, uh, you know, there hasn't been a proper leftist leader to really change the lives and the economic yeah. system and the entire landscape of the Philippines, especially for the working class masses. Yeah, 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 that is, that is, that is true. Some of my colleagues like Teresa Tadem and Aris Arugay have spent quite a lot of their research on looking at the so-called left movement, even the Marxist movement in the Philippines. And in a way, they really failed to capitalize on this growing discontent. And they have they did create uh, what we call uh, party list groups, political right. parties uh, that, uh, that are actually able to win some seats in the House of Representatives, but they fail to really connect very important issues and programs to the daily lives of people. And also, we do have a number of left formations that rather than fight the elites, fight with each other due to ideological differences and personality differences, leadership differences. And the tendency in the past uh, few administrations is that rather than presenting themselves as um, separate political parties, alternative political parties to the traditional political parties that focus on the personalities rather than the programs uh, and focus on uh, huge resources, they sort of enter into alliances with the traditional political parties. But in the campaign that started seven, eight months ago, there was suddenly two big leftist groups that came together and decided right. to support the vice president. And you, they created a multi-sectoral um, group uh, right. that supported... I, I think, of course... Uh, less than 15 million is small compared to, let's say, 31 million who voted for Marcos. But if you compare the intensity and uh, the discussions and probably the civic-mindedness of people who supported different, uh, who went behind the candidacy of uh, Vice President Lenny Robredo, you now have a core group of people who have learned that they have to establish multi-sectoral alliances. It's difficult. You see the pain, the limits, as well as the creativity of a social movement campaign where people uh, were actually debating each other how to move forward with the campaign. It's messy. Uh, it was a very messy campaign, but it also led to very creative uh, campaign strategies, including going on the ground, grassroots campaigning. Of course, it was not enough because they only started in te- uh, working on the ground 
uh, right. seven months ago. But the point is, hopefully they learn the lesson that if you really want people to be part of the campaign and to actually provide substantive programs where you will have to deliver and people will deliver, but people will also work to get this delivered because they will hold their their leaders accountable. This can actually be lessons for the next few years, particularly now when we really have to be on our toes and monitor. Lessons have to be learned. Yeah. What mistakes were made, but at the same time, what are the strengths of this type of campaign that did not really focus on the candidate, but focus on the people? Because this is the first time where you see the most militant uh, labor groups and most militant farmers and uh, drivers, public utility drivers, hand in hand with uh, priests, nuns, students, and the people from different walks of life. So you have this, this group that at least at a certain point were able to, in a way, it's um, maybe for the urban youth, it's a way of uh, civic education that the people they did not care about before, the middle classes who may be more comfortable, they suddenly were actually conversing with farmers, with people from rural areas. They go house to house and talk about people and not start with insisting both for our candidate, but try to understand why they don't care about the results of the election. Let's talk a little bit about Lenny Robredo for a yeah. sec because she was also uh, as you put she was also running for uh, president against Bong Wong Marcos what can you tell us about her and why she lost I'm wondering if people saw her as just another candidate yeah. that is only just focusing on on you know certain yes the freedom of speech those kinds of things yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and and you know perhaps she you know people i wonder if people saw her as you know she's also someone that's just going to be uh, focused on the ruling class interests yeah. or did people see her as a genuine leader of the working class like like yeah, the farmers yeah. and and so on and so forth yeah yeah many things. Uh, first, definitely uh, for opponents of the 1986 uh, uh, People Power Legacy, she was seen as a representative of the Yellows and right. uh, the Liberal Party because she, uh, while she ran as independent, she being the highest ranking opposition in the Duterte, the Duterte administration, she, uh, she was president. Uh, she remained president of the Liberal Party. So all the attacks and the discrediting against the, the 1986 uh, uh, democracy revival uh, were also, she also inherited that. And she became the prime target, being the lone opposition in the Duterte administration, in the executive branch in since uh, 2016, also made her the target uh, of attack from uh, cabinet members to a certain extent, Duterte himself, and uh, at the same time, of course, all this propaganda and trolls online, they fabricated stories about her private life, her family life. She focused on livelihood programs and very effective COVID response uh, uh, programs. Um, the European Union and other international agencies partnered with her, some progressive local governments 
partnered with her but because of the, uh, because of the limited budget they decided and i think uh, vice president Lenny Robredo admitted this was that their problem was they did not immediately fact check and counter all these lies and all this uh, fake news they instead focus on supporting groups that they can help uh, providing livelihood programs providing covid support they did not have time to to really promote their program although if you look at the people who supported her and knew her they were actually beneficiaries of uh, many of her programs as vice president she has a law degree and she was a public attorney so she defended farmers fisher folks and uh, uh, other marginalized groups. That's why it's very important that in her campaign in 2016 and 2022, there were a large group of uh, farmers who really supported her and going around the country to promote because that was they were their, her clients and right. they won. They won uh, against uh, landlords. So, so in that sense, if you knew her, you know what she has done. But unfortunately, because of too much propaganda, discrediting of the, the 1986 people power, connecting her too much with the, the Liberal Party, the Yellows, uh, the two Aquinos, uh, it was, uh, and then of course, uh, it was late in the game when she decided to run for, right. for uh, president. These elections also showed not just the the triumph of uh, propaganda and disinformation, as well as inequality, class and social inequality in the Philippines, but actually the triumph of big money politics. When you see the 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 Bongbong Marcos campaign, you see a lot of resources being poured at very strategically designed songs, commercials, and very slick production. Whereas you see. The Lenny Robredo campaign starting out as, in a way, you have uh, traditional elites also supporting her, but it grew into a people's campaign that was both chaotic but at the same time creative and dynamic. Her numbers actually grew, but the lead of Bongbong Marcos was simply too big. Mm. And at the same time, there were documented cases of both buying on the part of local elites and local politicians who promised Marcos that they will deliver the votes in their area. Right. Before we wrap this conversation up, Dr. Ella, what are we expecting from Bongbong Marcos? Are we expecting him to be um, the same, like, uh, is he, is he going to be the same kind of uh, president as his father was? And what next for the masses of the Philippines? Yeah. I'm talking about the working class, the middle class yeah. people. What next for them? Uh, it will be very difficult for Bong Bong, even if he has the numbers officially based on the campaigns he might be proclaimed officially by the two houses of Congress this Wednesday. But it will be very difficult for him to follow totally the playbook of his father because there are now more constraints on the part of um, of uh, the Philippine Constitution. At the same time, uh, traditional elites and families that supported him would definitely ask him for payback. So, of course, it's not democratic, but there will be people who will be expecting. So, what right. will, uh, how will you repay us? Mm -hmm. So, he, 
he has uh, a lot of uh, political debt. In fairness to his father, his father was very strategic. He planned everything through. He was very smart. Unfortunately, the son is not that smart, but there are smart people behind him. Right. But the problem is he has to create a group that will actually be loyal to him. Because the problem in the Philippines is that in the absence of strong political parties, you have alliances of traditional elites and families who, after winning, may actually later fight each other. Yeah. One very strategic thing that he did was actually for him and his allies to persuade Sada Tosefin not to run for president, but actually run for vice president. So if Marcos ran, he might only win the northern part of the Philippines. He will not win in Mindanao. But because of the popularity of the Duterte name, uh, Sara Duterte contributed to him winning both the north and southern part of the Philippines. Right. Even if it's unthinkable that people in Mindanao who have suffered the brunt of the martial law uh, dictatorship that led to the creation of all these uh, secessionist movements and rebellions, would vote for Marcos, but many of them voted because it's a team up right. with uh, the daughter of uh, President Duterte. Uh, the economic strategy is still a question mark. During this period in 2016, Rodrigo Duterte's team already has uh, a 15, I think, 15 point agenda for the economy. Right. Of course, he was not able to deliver this. Mm -hmm. uh, but the point is, at the time, he was already yeah. strategizing his team. So now we see here a lot of uh, maybe negotiations. And, and it's very crucial that he, he creates a team that is legitimate in the eyes not only of the local business sector, but also in foreign investors. Because that's the fear of a lot of foreign investors. A lot of instability, cronyism that characterized his father's rule will return in the Philippines. Or even if they're already here, they will be intensified during this uh, term. So uh, at the same time, uh, the supporters of Bongbong Marcos are continuing their strategy of discrediting opponents, attacking opponents, uh, red tagging or accusing people, uh, particularly in academia and in the student movement, the labor movement, uh, progressive sector as uh, quote and unquote, uh, they are enemies of the people. On the one hand, at the top, Bongbong Marcos, same as during his campaign, was promoting a toxic version of unity. Right. But below, People, uh, supporters, and trolls are still intensifying the attacks and discrediting the opposition, including legitimate opposition. So that's the thing that we are looking at and monitoring because this should not be tolerated. It's more dangerous now, but it's important to hold on to many of the things that a lot of people have taken for granted, including uh, freedom of the press. It's the situation in the Philippines. We cannot determine on the basis of parties because the parties are simple machineries. Right. So we have to look at the players, the traditional families, and the traditional elites that are orbiting around him. All right. On that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Ella. 
Uh, you're welcome, Darshan. It's a pleasure, and it's uh, good that uh, you 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 invited people from the Philippines to actually talk about what's going on here. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Maria Ella Atienza. She's a professor of political science at the University of Philippines, Diliman. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, BFM.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to BFM.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.